0: Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, December 12th year of our Lord. 2021 jam packed high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. If you hire a new coach, but you don't bring along your assistant athletic director and your athletic director and some relatives and whatnot, does the hire really even matter? I would argue in this modern college football age of ours. No, it doesn't. Everything I just said is going to make sense before the end of the show. Oregon's got a new head coach. You may think to yourself, "Ah, would you lead the show with that though? Yeah because it matters. It matters with the way it went down. Some of you still may not know what I'm talking about a whole lot more than just in and around Eugene, Oregon. So we will discuss that there is a huge bubble that has already been inflated in the SEC West, and it continues to just grow and grow and grow. Even in the last few hours, we've got uh, an eye-catching headline, if you will, out of Arkansas about Sam Pittman and maybe His compensation headed north of $4 million a year, maybe $5 million, $6 million, perhaps north of $7 million per year. For the record, he makes $3.75 per right now. Uh, He also recently uh, employed the services of Jimmy Sexton as his new agent. The transfer portal, it's still on fire. Nothing's changed. No amount of fire extinguishers and hose pipes can turn this thing off right now. It's on fire. And so we're also going to discuss that tonight along with A team that has uh, felt the ire, the brunt, if you will, of the transfer portal lately, and that is Clemson. They told you it could never happen. They were wrong. Uh, We're going to talk about Clemson tonight and some churn happening with the program. It's very popular right now to pile on Clemson. Some of it is uh, valid and some of it's just haters. So we're going to try and dig through what's valid and what's not tonight, but there's a lot going on at Clemson, a lot more than the last several years combined. And so what where's that program going to be in 2025? Think about that. We'll talk about it later. Here's an update on our schedule this week. There's a very crazy week coming up. So we've got obviously our live show tonight. And then we will not have a normal show on Tuesday night because I will be headed down to Fort Lauderdale to do our National Signing Day show, which will air on Wednesday from, I think, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., Eastern time will be over on CBS Sports HQ and then we're going to have a nice four hour chunk in the early afternoon on the YouTube channel. So be looking for that and then we'll also do a version of late kick on Wednesday night. Obviously it will be early signing day ba- based and themed, but we're going to do a late kick or a version of it on Wednesday night. Then we'll fly back up here. I got the late flight out of Fort Lauderdale Wednesday night. Some of these other suckers are staying down there an extra day cause they don't know it's going to rain all week in Florida and I will be back here for Thursday. And so, we'll do a normal show on Thursday night. So, that gets you up to date on what's going on. And then, obviously, we've got Christmas coming up, and we've got travel down to well, somewhere for the semifinal game. And we've also got a couple of little projects we're working on. So, it's going to be a very abnormal month, but I think a very informative month and a very good month for content. I uh, appreciate you guys trafficking the show because I was looking around elsewhere. We get these traffic reports delivered to us. Some places are seeing dips in traffic, we're not. So, I mean, you know, we don't believe in the offseason. We don't even believe in taking December off. Thank you for that so much. So we got a lot to get to. Uh, let's go about a million different angles tonight. Oregon changed the game this week. They changed the game in Eugene and the Pac-12 because, well, they got a new coach. And so Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator at Georgia, he's headed to Oregon. I think he's up there as we speak, even though he will stick around and he will coach Georgia in the playoff. So much more happened here, though, than meets the eye. If you've kind of been tuned out and living your life and you've been doing Christmas shopping or whatnot, you may just have seen the headline, Oregon hires Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. And yeah, that did happen. That's not all that happened. There were a lot of moving parts here. And I'm not just talking about the actual cycle of what it takes to hire a coach. There was a lot that changed as a byproduct of this whole process. So I'm gonna give you the rapid reaction first off just to the higher, but boy, you're gonna to wanna to stay tuned cause there are a lot of moving pieces here. If you're a Nebraska fan, if you're a Florida Atlantic fan, I don't care who you're a fan of. I think a lot changed just in college football in general over about the last week to two weeks. And admittedly, some of it happened with the Notre Dame search. Uh, some of it happened with the Oklahoma search. There's an emerging technology out there. It's not brand new, but it's still pretty new. And it got incorporated wholesale into the oregon coaching search and the results were just beyond anyone's imagination so first off georgia before i even get to oregon georgia i was thinking to myself probably the best equipped program in america to lose a defensive coordinator as a head coach somewhere not only because they have Will Muschamp there just ready to go if he wants to, and they got Glenn Schumann there ready to go if he wants to. The head coach, I mean, if Kirby Smart really wanted to, he could hit the break glass in case of emergency, and he could push the red button over there. He could call plays if he really wanted to. So they have multiple coordinator-caliber uh, assistants in the pipeline. They'll be fine. It, it, Dan Landing's sticking around, but even if he wasn't, they would be fine in the playoff, and they'll be fine moving forward. So that's about the extent of the Georgia reaction here. As for Dan Landing at Oregon, There are some mixed reactions out there about how good a hire this is, how risky a hire this is. Did we really need to go defense? Shouldn't we have gone offense? I think it should be noted, and you can make of it what you will. Oklahoma came open, and Oregon came open, and they both opted for defensive coaches. Uh, Marcus Freeman, defensive guy, Notre Dame. So a lot of these programs are doing what? They told you, they being the casuals, would never happen about three or four years ago. No one's ever going to be hiring defensive coaches as head coaches again. Yeah, they are. So I can tell you that around the South, people look at the Oregon job, and especially this this last go round, a lot of Southern coaches were looking at the Oregon job, and they were very attracted to it. Now, it may not make sense geographically, but when you understand how college football is working in the modern age, and you also understand how Mario Cristobal is running Oregon, it makes perfect sense. So I was on the big Twitter space the other night, more on that in just a second, with a whole bunch of people, some people on the team there, some parents, but also some fans. And we were kind of tossing this concept around. And I can tell you firsthand, there were a lot of coaches in the South, Dan Lanning being one of them, that looked at the Oregon job and they were so attracted to it, not just because of the brand and what it means in terms of national appeal with Nike, but it's not a rebuild project. I don't just mean they have good players, because you could have good players that don't fit my system or vice versa. Mario Cristobal put together an SEC team up there. He was using a template that he became familiar with at places like Alabama or even back in his playing days at Miami. But what he did was he did what every other coach does. He defined his critical factors and traits and characteristics that he's looking for in a player, and he assembled a roster full of guys with those traits and characteristics. Well, it just so happens that Mario Cristobal has about the same list of critical factors and traits and characteristics as any of a number of guys in the South would because they build their teams in very similar fashion. So Dan Lanning and other guys looked and said, boy, it's not going to be a whole lot of overturn. There's not going to be a lot of roster churn up there. And not just that, but the list of current commitments and the list of committable offers that are out with an Oregon next to that name. Those are kind of the guys that Dan Lanning would have offered if he was already running things up there anyway. Then you get to the brand appeal, and this is where I think also the residual effect of Mario Cristobal is going to greatly help the next guy. because so I think that even though they had touted the Oregon brand up there for a while, and even though they had said, we got Nike, you know, look at this check mark, uh, they didn't really fully leverage it. Mario Cristobal fully leveraged it. Mario Cristobal went all over the place, including the South, including the East Coast, including the Midwest, and he, Texas, and he got players, and he got them. Because he, he, well, he may not have realized this, he may not have already known it, or he may have already known it, but he made other people realize geography is not the same in college football as it was 20 years ago. State boundaries have never mattered less. I think that these things that you're holding in your hand right now, I got an iJosh, you may have an iPhone. Technology works in very fascinating ways, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, what it's done right now is it has shrunk the country, it has shrunk the world, and you really don't feel like Oregon's nearly as far away as you used to. I mean, you've, you've probably been gaming with kids from all over the country, and you've been talking to them as you play games your entire childhood. So it's just not that big a deal to go three time zones away like it used to be. Then you can bring Nike in. Then you can bring the broad, Um, market saturation in. So from the South, and I've got the vantage point because I came from there, I can tell you that a lot of finalists lists down there are Alabama and Tennessee and Georgia and Oregon. They'll throw Oregon in there. I have seen Oregon as a finalist in the South more commonly than I've seen Southern Cal. See, a generation ago, you would have thought the West Coast program that resonates nationally is Southern Cal. It's been Oregon. Lincoln Riley's going to try and, and change that, but it's been Oregon. So you also need to watch this staff construction. Watch the way Landing puts it together. You, in an ideal world, want to be able to build such depth on your staff that if you do ever lose assistance because you're doing a really good job, you have the replacement in-house. Dabo Swinney's struggling with whether to do this right now. I'm going to talk about it later in the show. Uh, it's, it's not always that You're just going to look internally. Sometimes you still have to go externally, but you want options in your building. When you lose your coordinator, you want options in your building. Right now, reports today are Dan Lanning looking at guys like Kenny Dillingham, for example, down at Florida State right now. A guy with ties in the South, but also a guy with ties out West. I can almost assure you, Dan Lanning will load that staff up with position coaches and and more importantly to me for this point, analysts, off-field guys who have ties in the South. Number one, for recruiting purposes. Number two, because he wants to build staff depth for when guys like Dillingham, if he does get the job and then he moves on and gets an opportunity a couple of years down the road, you already got the next wave in house. It's very important. I talked to you about a week ago about that. I think it's critically important for Oregon to do it that way. But that's just a game changer for Oregon. So far, what I've told you just matters for Oregon. I thought I came into this segment and I told you this was a game changer for everyone. It was. Here's what I mean by that. So Thursday, if you were around, you saw the report from Chip Towers at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. He correctly, in all caps, correctly reported that Dan Lanning was going to be the next head coach at Oregon. And then a lot of other folks came in and shot that report down. And they had to do what I did last week on the Mario front. They had to you know, gobble up a lot of crow because Chip Towers was right the whole time. But between the time that Chip Towers put his uh, report out and the time that everyone else finally realized it was accurate, there was this 24-hour span. And Thursday night happened during that 24-hour span. And so if you are active on Twitter, or if you're not and you watch this show, you've heard me mention a couple of different times a new function on Twitter. It's called Twitter Spaces. It is a mixture. It's like the best of all worlds. It's the mixture between a podcast but also a live call-in radio show. So you're listening to it on your phone, you're not out in your truck listening to it, so you're not you know, listening to it terrestrially, but at the same time, you have a feature where everyone who is in the room can request a talk and you as a host can bring them in. It's, it's really, really something that I think is gonna be leveraged by us and a lot of other people down the road. So anyway, on Thursday night, some Oregon fans get together and they're talking about speculation about who the coach is going to be. There's this report out today. Dan Landing's going to be our coach. Is it true? Is it not? And so they get in there. And so far, this is pretty mundane. It's just a bunch of fans talking. But then it didn't just end up being fans talking. Then a lot of Oregon players hopped in there. I hopped in there. And I saw a lot of Oregon players hop in there. Then some parents of Oregon players hopped in there. And then it got really serious. Because Dan Lanning's brother hopped in there. And Dan Lanning's brother, I don't know what kind of background check they did on the guy, but he checked out. Dan Lanning's brother is just dish and scoop. He's telling you everything that he knows. He's giving you every ounce of communication that he's had with his brother over the past 48 hours. He's telling you in years past, when Dan Lanning has taken jobs, what has the family protocol been. And I want to remind you, all you had to do to access this information was hold this phone right here and listen. Just shut up and listen. And so you've got beat reporters and you got national reporters all over the country. And they're looking around every corner and upturning every rock looking for scoop. And you got like Joey in Sacramento, just holding his iPhone up on a random Thursday night, getting scooped directly from family members. The Oregon athletic director ends up in there. The Oregon associate athletic director ends up in there. There are all kinds of national folks in there. The numbers got into the thousands and at the end of the day, Chip Towers ends up being right. And Dan Lanning does get announced as the Oregon head coach. And then you come back around and they have another one. I don't think it ever really fully ended. It was just going and going and going. I'll tell you what it felt like. It felt like Vegas in the 70s, or it felt like walking through the woods and then just coming out. And there's Niagara Falls before the Marriotts of the world and the holiday Inns of the world have have discovered it. That's what Twitter Spaces is right now. It's just, it's totally untapped. It's totally pristine. And everything that was going on in there probably won't be going on in two years. I'll tell you why, there was a little, there there was a little bit of normalcy that crept in. Even as all this is going on and everyone's being totally honest and open, no one's talking with their guard up. There was a reporter that comes in and asks Noah Sewell's dad, "Uh, Mr. Sewell, what do you think your son needs to improve on before next season? like it was a press conference and it really killed the vibe however the vibe quickly returned when some guy was in the bathroom and he was talking and then hit the flush and just kept talking like nothing happened just kept talking and you're like did i just hear that i did just hear that actually so i'm looking right now so they've got it you know what you know what guys here's what i'll do they've got it going on as we speak they've got one happening as we speak i don't know if this is going to work it will prove that we're live colin i'm going to tap into this Let's just see what they're talking about. That means it's, it's, it's high profile. There is, I'm this muted. What happened to Mark Helfrich, who's this is the here. contemptible and George Wrightster on the West North Coast North speaking, North by North. the way. And, I'll request yeah. to speak. I just requested to speak. To, Let's actually see if we get pulled in here. I'm only going to hang on this about 30 seconds, Colin. So he decided what was best for him, and I was okay with that. So I thought the timing of it coming out, so I know, I know a lot of people are going to blast Ken, Ken Canzano, but he was- It looks like there are about a thousand people play. in this right now. So, a lot of national guys. Right happy. off the top but of my head, I situation. see a couple of players. I see that's three players. Said, so, so that's the team. And I've said how I felt about it. And that Justin should get interviewed, but him be the guy- So I would assume right now they're talking about assistant coaches. Those of you on the West Coast, you know George Reitster, he's very long-winded, very long-winded. He calls me all the time. He's just like this. I think I'll, uh, I'll start off. I mean, did, did he, was, there wasn't any. Okay, so anyway, that's how that works. Um, really, really interesting. So now you guys hit me up and you ask, are you ever going to use that? Yes. That's all I can tell you right now. Yes, we will be using that uh, immediately down the road. But that's interesting. That technology is interesting, because you know we were doing a little version of that, kind of with the Friday Night Lines thing, where you know I was in the hotel room, and we were talking about late line moves in the model and whatnot. Had that been around and already you know, been out there in the public, I would have been using that platform. So we're gonna figure out a way to use that. Uh, I will tell you what we do know how to use though, and that is Academy Sports and Outdoors. Academy Sports and Outdoors, I would say right now, 95 I would put the over under it 95% of your Christmas shopping list can be checked off by simply going to academy.com really guys you don't even have to leave your house it's kind of like getting scoop on the Twitter spaces you don't really even have to leave your house in order to get the scoop you don't have to really leave your house if you don't want to in order to check off all the boxes on that Christmas shopping list Academy Sports and Outdoors is our one and only partner look around we're kind of like you know, when I went to Michigan Stadium, what stood out is there wasn't advertising all over the place. It's kind of like we are right here. We got Academy, and it's just us hand-in-hand hand with Academy Sports and Outdoors. And there's, We really don't look like the side of a NASCAR. We don't have 47 different sponsors. It's not that we are against having money. It's just we're, we're against looking that way. It's not a billboard. Uh, so we want to keep it as pristine as possible around here for you. The reason why I always mention that is because I just want to let you know the way we do that is by our partnership with Academy Sports and Outdoors. And last I checked, it is uh, right around mid-December. And so I would encourage you guys, if you need something, Why don't you help the show out in the process? Because then that helps you out because you're never going to have to pay a dime to watch this show because our partners at Academy help us keep it free. So we are eternally grateful to them. I'm eternally grateful to you guys. And I told you that long before Academy ever came around. Uh, The one way that I've already told you can contribute to the show in a positive way is to just hit up our buddies, Academy Sports and Outdoors and academy.com. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, The SEC West could be an utter bloodbath over the next several years. I put up a list earlier today on Twitter. I think we actually have it here graphically. So I wanna show you something. And if you're listening on podcast, I'll read the names to you. I just wanted you to tell me when you hear or see this list, what do you think, what comes to mind? We got Nick Saban brian kelly jimbo fisher mike leach lane kiffin brian harson sam Pittman. what comes to mind there as you come to your answer think about the last name on that list this is in no order by the way think about the last name on that list it's sam Pittman. sam Pittman. i would have voted for as coach of the year in the sec i think kirby ended up getting it which i was surprised by i don't think it's a uh, i don't think it's uh, anything like the uh, heisman neglecting the likes of Will Anderson, but I was surprised by it. Anyway, Sam Pittman, I think we can all agree had a good year this year. Sam Pittman currently makes $3.75 million per year. And I say currently, because that could be about to change. Sam Pittman, like everyone else out there these days, has gone and hired the services of Jimmy Sexton as his new client, or as his new agent. Uh, Pittman is now a client of Jimmy Sexton. Per the Arkansas Democrat Gazette today, they are floating a new contract with the University of Arkansas that would land in the neighborhood of seven years, $50 million. So I had stats and info crunch the numbers, and that is around $7 million, a little bit north of $7 million per year. Jesse didn't even want to put the decimal in there. So it's just about 7 million and change per year. I also did my own numbers, and that's almost double what he's making right now. And that brings me back to the SEC West bubble. Because, boy, it's big. The SEC West bubble is really big right now. And I just want to know, as you look at this list of salaries and you assume that Sam Pittman's about to get a massive pay raise, how long will that bubble stay intact? I would argue it can't stay intact very long. Because here's the good news. I'll give you the good news first. It's going to sound a whole lot like the bad news. The good news is every program in the SEC West is all in. I think it's the only division in any conference in America that you could accurately say every program is at an A or an A-plus level in terms of being fully invested in football. That's the good news. The bad news is also that every program is all in on football. It's not normal, and that means you got a bubble, and that thing's going to go pop eventually because normally what you have is you have a hierarchy and you have a couple of programs that are all in and then you got a couple more programs that take it pretty darn serious and any given year they could pop you for a loss and then you've got the also rans that you use to get fat on we don't really have any of that in the sec west everyone's all in why is that bad news well when you're all in you expect those returns on investments and simple mathematics tell you If we got all these teams all in, there aren't enough wins to go around, and that creates a great big bubble. And so we got Saban at Alabama, we got Jimbo there at Texas A&M, we've got Brian Kelly now at LSU. You would think if you judged on the resources available at those programs, and then you judged those coaches track records, you would think those are great white type programs, type situations. Normally you got room for one, maybe two great whites, maybe in a division. You certainly don't have room for three, but even if we were gonna have three over here, you gotta have some minnows. You gotta have some food out there. Arkansas's not food. Did you play Arkansas this year? Did you watch what it was like to play Arkansas this year? Ole Miss just went 10 and two. Ole Miss is in a New Year's six game. Mike Leach, in any other conference, people would be scared to death to play him every Saturday. And then you got one unknown. To me, the only real unknown in the entire SEC West is Brian Harson at Auburn. And by the way, just speaking of Harson, I don't know anything specifically. I want to preface before I say this I don't know anything specifically other than I have an itch on my nose. That's the first thing I know. The second thing I know is you've heard some, some rumors, some random whispers about Brian Harson out there, right? And you also saw Lincoln Riley just flat out say, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go as far away from the SEC West as I can get. And it was reported that when Riley left Oklahoma for USC, the eventual move to the SEC was part of his decision making for getting out of there. My point is whether you hear some strange rumors every now and then, or you see some eye popping headlines that involve coaches leaving that division, you look at that list we just threw up a second ago or I read to you a second ago, it makes it make a little more sense, doesn't it? So when someone tells you one of the big lies, You know, we go through them all the time. I think I'm going to do a segment coming up on one of the big lies, which is you are what your record says you are. Just point them to the SEC West. I want you to look at Auburn's schedule, if you're watching on YouTube right now. And I want you to think, in any given year, Auburn University has to play LSU. They have to play Texas A&M. They have to play Alabama. they got to play Arkansas. they got to play Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Oh, and by the way, they get the added bonus of playing Georgia. Every single year. If you want to look me in my eye with a straight face and tell me 10 and 2 against that schedule just doesn't measure up to a 12 and 0 or an 11 and 1 in a G5 conference, I'm going to not ask, are you on substances? I'm going to ask, which substance are you on? And then there's a third option, and that's you just being willfully ignorant or maybe wanting to buy into SEC bias, whatever that garbage is. Look at that schedule. Like, whoopsed? Whomst amongst us would look at that and, first off, expect anyone to be able to go undefeated. But even if you get through 11-1 or 10-2, and two, I'm telling you right now, I can take some playoff teams out there. And I can put them through that. And if they go 9-3, I'd be pretty impressed. So one of the big three lies in college football is you are what your record says you are. Another one of the big three lies is, hell, a win is a win. And I'm going to go over the third lie in detail down the road. But that's a bloodbath. And as we look ahead towards Wednesday, when we have early signing day coming up, we have Texas A&M pushing hard for the top class in the country. Certainly, you're going to have Alabama in there. Certainly, we're watching for what LSU is able to do. They're trying to scramble and kept Frank Wilson on board, which is huge for them. I brought him back, not kept him on board, brought him back. And they've had some guys like Corey Raymond leave, uh, but they've also got Frank Wilson on board. And they're just trying as best they can to you know, snatch as many as they can. But um, let's see what they do. But just in a general year, I mean, you got you got Lane Kiffin there at Ole Miss, and he's not one of the first three that you really even mention, because you got Brian Kelly on the block now, and you got Jimbo doing what he's doing and Alabama doing what they're doing. I think it's just fascinating that Texas A&M is looking around and saying, well, we don't really care. Like we rightfully, if they feel this way, rightfully, we should be the other Alabama. We should be that other program that the rest of the country looks at and says, Boy, I'm glad I'm not in the SEC West, so I don't have to play those guys. They're building towards that. I mean, they got a haul coming in, a haul. And that's not even to mention what they could do any given year in the transfer portal. So, boy, oh, boy. I mean, who knows? They may may do something at quarterback in the transfer portal, for all we know. Whispers, rumors, innuendos out there. But the Wednesday early signing day I think will raise a lot of eyebrows for, for people who aren't fully tuned into recruiting all the time and they just come around when the signing days are happening. I don't think a lot of people know what a and has been up to but they're about to find out what they're up to and Alabama's not going anywhere. Bama's right there too like they're neck and neck. Uh, you know it's the usual suspects and Georgia's up there too but boy A&M they said we see the party we understand who's hosting the party in Tuscaloosa but we're going to come in anyway if that's all right. The SEC West, stay exactly where you are, Billy Napier. Stay exactly where you are, Kirby Smart. You don't need to go anywhere. Stay over there as long as you can. You got to cherish it, like Billy Madison. You got to cherish it. All right, let's move on. The transfer portal is, uh, well, it's a blaze. it's on fire. I say this, I say this every episode, but it's accurate every episode. So the transfer portal latest. We got one name that continues to be a familiar thread here that we'll mention in the end, but how about B.J. Foster? B.J. Foster is out at Texas. Well, at least he's in the portal. And uh, Chris Amora, uh, Adamora, Adam is also there. A couple of defensive back players. Foster has been a solid four-year player at Texas. Uh, he was a former five-star guy, and that's why it catches your eye because you see all five of those stars because you're using the former rating. He goes in the portal. He's been a solid guy there. Uh, he's to me been a guy who I've always watched and I've been waiting for it to click. I've been waiting for him to go from a, a solid, dependable player to a true star player. And it, for a variety of reasons, never really panned out that way. At least it hasn't yet. Not a bad player, very good player, uh, but a guy who, who knows, goes somewhere else, gets in the right secondary with the right coach, and maybe they pull a little bit extra, that final 15% out of him. Um, Adam Mora, old staff just flat out liked him a lot more than the new staff did. And so those are two guys that are departures. Now, we've expected this. We didn't know who it was going to be, but we've expected a lot of guys to hit the exit door. Steve Sarkeesian told you as much at a press availability about a month or so ago. Here's why they're not really talking about this all that much in Austin. It's because who could be coming in the door? And I'm not even talking about Ewers. We'll get to Ewers in a few minutes. But Kelvin Banks, who we talked about on this show when he committed to Oregon a couple of months ago, well, he's back in the fold. Five-star offensive tackle back in the fold at Texas may not be the last big one they have from this weekend and so yeah they got some guys hitting the exit door but they've also got their guys emphasis on their guys coming in the front door so no one's really shedding a whole lot of tears in austin texas right now joe joe is a receiver from clemson hey has also entered the transfer portal frank ladson's in there joe joe is in there Uh, this is a guy who probably has not grown into his game i think even the clemson staff would tell you this really impressive physical specimen. He looked like about a a half a dozen other receivers Clemson had this year. They had just the same body type, 6'3", 220, every single one of them, exact same size. Uh, So they didn't have a lot of versatility and variety in that receiver room. But that's exactly the point a lot of Clemson folks are making is number one, he never really maximized his potential here. You would have some folks around the program tell you that may not be as much on Clemson development as it is on maybe the player fully buying into the development. I've never coached him, so I'm just telling you what people say. But other than that, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I know there's a lot negative that's being said about Clemson right now, but a guy like a Joe, a Joe hitting the exit door via the portal, you need less of that. If it means you get more 511, 175 can hit the seam and split safeties and get behind the secondary. That's what they need more of. That's what they didn't have at all this year. And it showed. Like they finally played some better football down the stretch, but it took a long time because there was no threat of Clemson beating you over the top. So less of his body type. If it means a little bit more what you've seen Ohio state and Alabama play with, that's all the better for me. We're going to talk about Clemson later. Austin Stogner from Oklahoma. He was, I think a second team, all American tight end back in 2019. He entered the portal about two weeks ago. He entered in late November. He's still in there. He's taken a visit to South Carolina. He's taken a visit to Iowa State. Well, he was on campus, may still be in Columbus at Ohio State this weekend. And anytime Ohio State's involved and they really want you, it's hard to turn them down and it's hard to beat them. So let's see where this goes. It's expected by the latest reporting I've seen around our entire network that we could have a decision coming Sometime in the next week to two weeks, I know that's vague, but then again, if that's the information you have to go on, it's the information you have to go on. 6'6", 256, tight end as I said, and has two years to play. This is the kind of player, I think that if he lands at a place like Ohio State, let's just for argument's sake, say he lands at Ohio State, this is the kind of guy that midway through the season is making differences in games. It's the kind of guy who's making the kind of plays you're seeing right now in the B-roll, And he's filling a role that maybe Ohio State didn't have. Uh, There aren't many Austin Stogners out there. And so it's just a guy who probably didn't like the fit with the new staff coming in at Oklahoma. Wanted to try and his hand elsewhere. A lot of these big programs recruited him the first time around. Stogner, if if he lands at Ohio State, it's going to be a big deal. If he lands anywhere, it's going to be a big deal. But if he lands at Ohio State, that's just a little bit different kind of weapon than you've had there. And now we get to Quinn Ewers. What's happening with Quinn Ewers? Well... I will give Mr. Ewers credit and also our staff across the network credit because the reporting has stayed pretty in line here. So he was at Texas Tech last week and now he is in town in Austin, Texas. I think right now he's been at Texas this weekend. Really good coverage of this. It's ongoing over on Horns247.com. This feels like it's going to be decided in the next 24 to 48 hours. And you'd be hard pressed right now to find reputable people close to this recruitment, I guess is what we're gonna call it, that would tell you anything other than it looks like Texas. Most people I spoke with, pretty much everything I read with any reputability today indicated there's a lot of Texas buzz here. And I reached out to a couple of our guys and even the off the record transmissions that you have with people, looks like Texas. And now there's always had hesitance because you know something could pop up 11th hour, but as of right now, Pretty much everyone in the know here thinks if he pulls the trigger tonight or tomorrow, probably going to be Texas. Think about what could be happening in Austin, if that goes down, by the way. You could end up with Quinn Ewers, which I'm going to say it because they won't, makes him your starting quarterback this upcoming season. And then you've also got flips happening in recruiting, and they may not be done in the portal, by the way. In fact, I can tell you confidently, I don't think they're going to be done in the portal. They are remaking a team. That's what they're doing. Texas and Steve Sarkeesian are just flat-out remaking the team. Now, you can't totally do it in one season, but it also doesn't take four seasons anymore either. This is something to watch. I think it's, as I told you, the remake of Clemson, which I'm about to talk about, and the reorganization of Texas, two huge stories to follow over spring and in the summer months uh, because Texas, I don't know if they're going to be better, Or worse, record-wise, they're going to look so much different next year than they did this year. So at the very least, you know, in in the name of pole sass and everything else, let's just hope. Let's just hope. There's a lawsuit going on. Colin, cut this out of the uh, VO when you put it up. You know there's a lawsuit that is working its way through the courts involving that child that got bitten by the monkey of pole assassin. And the other night, we were going to lead with it. And then something came up. And so uh, we we still are monitoring the situation. And so if we do get some new information about the lawsuit filed against the exotic dancer fiance of a Texas special teams coordinator with a monkey that bit a child, all that's real, we will let you know. Because we are hard hitting journalism here. Clemson and Dabo Swinney, wanted to wrap the show up with this tonight. You have asked for like two or three shows in a row. When are you gonna talk about Clemson? Because there's this funny slice of our audience that thinks I'm a Clemson homer. There is a big slice of the Clemson fan base that thinks we're Clemson haters. And then there's reality. And it's just that we watch Clemson like we do every other program. Clemson and Dabo Swinney right now, a lot of churn going on around the program. I was recalling the other day, I was telling the story to one of our staffers about one of the most contentious periods in the history of this show. It was well before we came to 24-7. It was when I was down in Columbus, Georgia and we were doing the show independently. It was the 2018 national championship game. It was the one in Santa Clara. What a disaster. Uh, And it was also a disaster for Alabama cause Clemson just body bagged Alabama. I think it was 44 to 16, the final, just not even competitive in the end. It wasn't competitive. And coming off that, I fly back home. I was at the game. I fly back home and I do the next show. And I was non-committal on going as far as a lot of the national types had, which is to say that Clemson had ascended to being the top program in the country and Dabo Swinney had ascended to being the top head coach in the country. It was very hard because you couldn't I couldn't honestly state my opinion in the immediate aftermath of a team winning a title without it sounding like I was a hater because you're supposed to just be adorning them with praise, which I was for the win. And that was their second in three years. And both of the wins were over Alabama. It was nothing about that. But the suggestion I kept making was there is a, an illusion that a lot of people were under. There were some Clemson fans under it. Some of the national media, some of the agnostic observers were under the same illusion. And that was Clemson has gotten to this altitude. There'll be no turbulence. They're just going to cruise. And there were some people who would suggest to you because they go about things differently there, because their process is different, and I'll grant you, it is. That's a testament to them, it's a credit to them. But there were some under the illusion that because they've built it different, because their, their principles may be a little bit different, they are immune to what I call the consequences of success. And I never bought that. And you should never have bought that because they weren't. I will say this, they do do it different there. They do have a different culture. It's a credit to Dabo Swinney that it's taken this long for the consequences of success to really jump up and bite him. They haven't been losing staffers. They haven't been losing decommitments. But now they are, and it's all happening really fast. So Clemson now, without Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, without Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, without the athletic director, they've had multiple decommitments. They've got guys hitting the transfer portal. And so it leads you to ask, what's happening at Clemson? Well, churn is what's happening at Clemson. Life is what's happening at Clemson. I know you may look at it and see this big, giant red flag. Yeah, it's a red flag because they haven't gone through it before. It doesn't automatically mean it's a death sentence for the program, but it is an inflection point for Dabo Swinney and his tenure there. uh, Because I, I think back to like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, when that old ghost pirate, he says, you best start believing in ghost stories. Hold on, let me put my patch on. You're in one. Well, you best start believing in the consequences of success because you're in them. This is it. This is what real life has been like for Nick Saban for the past decade to decade and a half. In Alabama, they lose coordinators every year. They got decommitments happen. They got kids entering the portal and they just keep on ticking. That's what you have to be to be the greatest of all time. It's not getting up. It's actually being able to cruise. And then if you need to stick the landing, being able to stick the landing. Getting there is not nearly the hardest part. Oh, it's hard. Most people can't even get there. But staying at the mountaintop with all the consequences, all the thin air up there that you never have to worry about when you're at base camp, that's the hard part. So now we find out about Dabo Swinney. This is not me doubting him. It is me questioning how he'll handle this because you've got to make hires now. And I think it is a huge inflection point. I think it's going to be a very, very critical couple of decisions that Dabo has to make here. And I can tell you, if I know him anywhere close to like I think I do from afar, he's got to be so conflicted because he does have options. It's Clemson. You could go get a lot of guys who want to coach at Clemson. It's a, great, it's a great opportunity. What he, in his mind, has to reason is does he want to go internal and promote from within, or does he think it's time for new blood? Because you could look internally. You could look at Brandon Streeter, who's currently coaching quarterbacks for him. You could just elevate him. To offensive coordinator. Some people think that's what he's going to do. You could look at Wes Goodwin, and he's an off-field analyst for you. You could promote him if you wanted to to defensive coordinator. Some people think that's the direction he'll go. But let me tell you what else people think, and I would agree with this. The program's been stale. It is not a program that feels like it's got a lot of fresh water flowing into it. you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Nick Saban's been very good to guard against this. Stagnation is not a good thing for any kind of program, any kind of organization, you need new ideas. You don't need new principles, you don't need new values. Those are mainstays. But new ideas, new approaches, tinkering with doing it this way, or understanding that there's evolution happening out there and we gotta stay one step ahead of it or we'll be behind it, how do you weigh that? You got the Clemson way of doing things, sure. You've built your organization so that you can promote from within. But then over on the other side, you're asking yourself, But if we do have that stagnation problem, if we are a little stale, if we're in a bubble here in our own right, and there's a lot going on out there that we're just not aware of, and there's some programs that are getting an edge on us that we're not aware of, well, the only way really maybe to solve that is for me to bring some new blood in here. But there's risk with that too. You don't know if any of these guys are going to work out, but there's risk with that too. You've already got some of your signing class. All the IMG kids, three big-time defensive players have decommitted. If you go another direction... And maybe Elliott or Brent Venables come and they go after Streeter or they go after Goodwin. Do you lose some more of your recruiting class? How are you going to weigh that? You also got this little tidbit to keep in mind. Dabo to this point has not leveraged the transfer portal. I think he's got to leverage the transfer portal. This is all happening over the span of a few months. Now it's been building up and we've led up to this, but now you've got all these things that once people bragged about Dabo not having to worry about, they're not trickling. It's a flood. Someone cracked the dam and there's a flood. And now you got to fill all those roles and you got to deal with this issue and that issue. And then you're going to have to maybe make some decisions that you're never, you never been put in a position to have to make before. That's what a leader has to do. It's really easy. I'm not, I'm not questioning Dabo Swinney's resolve or his grit. He was around when it wasn't so good. And Dabo Swinney, he was a risk. Clemson took a big risk on him. He knows all about that. I don't, I don't doubt that he knows about that. I do wonder when it comes to those consequences of success, about how he's gonna deal with it, the same way I wonder about anyone else, cause there is no training manual for this. You can listen to every clinic speaker, you can get all the phone calls and text messages with people who've been there and done that, and they can give you all the advice in the world, they don't know the organization like you do, they don't know your heart and your mind like you do, you gotta make the decisions, cause you are the leader of Clemson football, they're not. You can't do it exactly like Saban did it or exactly like urban did it when he was a college football head coach. I should specify Uh, this is like I said, along with the Texas situation, one of the most intriguing college football storylines because this is not just happening in a vacuum guys. We've also got a new coach in town in Coral Gables. So they're certainly not going to sit there and just fall in line where they're supposed to Uh, Florida State's not going to fall in line where they're supposed to. Pitt and Wake Forest just play for the ACC title, not Clemson. So the ACC was never just going to sit still and let Clemson beat on it for a decade and a half. So now we got some evolution happening. we got some churn happening. we got some changes happening. One of the biggest stories to pay attention to. I want you guys to do me a favor, by the way. I want you – got some breaking news, Jesse. Is that what you just said? Yes? Okay, so right as we go off the air – thank you, Pete Thamel. Pete Thamel is reporting – that course, Jesse is reporting, Pete Thamel is reporting, and I want you to quote it that way, that Quinn Ewers will indeed transfer to Texas. We were just talking about it 20 minutes ago. Um, this is big. I mean, my initial reaction is, this is a huge day for Steve Sarkeesian. You never know five years from now if Sark is still there. You never know how important this day could have been, and this acquisition, let's just call it what it is, could have been to being the first big domino that got knocked down because Quinn Ewers is not coming to Texas alone. Quinn Ewers is coming to Texas, and then there will be a a windfall of other offensive talent that wants to play with him. Uh, Quinn Ewers is very much a keystone kind of recruit in that his decision has a ripple effect throughout the rest of the recruiting pond and the transfer portal pond. A lot of pond metaphors tonight. So thank you, Jesse. Just in time here. Had we gone off five minutes ago, we would have missed it. I was about to ask you to do me a favor. One favor. Hit the subscribe button, and that's the only favor. Other than that, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. we got a busy week coming up. There's a lot going on. We're going to be on the road. And so I would just, I would highly advise you be following there at Late Kick Josh. For not producer Jordan, he does the podcast for us. For producer Jesse, for director Collins and for our entire crew. I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Have yourselves a great start to your week, and God bless. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on It's called The Rest Is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest Is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.